0: Get the settings changed. Okay, Doki. All right. The revelation of Jesus Christ, part nineteen. Alright, Revelation chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened unto a son of man. That's what I want to focus on today, again, is this Son of Man. I want us to understand this, this Son of Man. You know, back in Genesis, right out of the gate, God gives us the purpose. and I, You know, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and and. He made that man out of dust, out of dirt. He made him with the flesh and blood and soul and spirit and body, with all the appetites and desires and weaknesses that we have, all the frailty, all the frailties. And that man had the ability for twisting and warping and spoiling things. And when he created a man like that you would think God made a mistake. I mean, you know, I go back and I look at Genesis out of the gate and I'm thinking, man, you made this man weak. He was capable of believing a lie. You let the devil in hey, You let him be tempted. You put two trees. I don't understand all of this stuff. But yet, in, in the form that he made man his image and his glory and dominion could be manifested. Now think about that. In this man that he made, this weak man with all these appetites and uh, all of these things, that God's image and glory and dominion could be manifested. Now this, this first man, Adam, was turned aside because, of course, he believed the lie, he was cast out. So God says, I'll invade humanity and come down in the person of my son. And I want you to get, get all this and limit myself to a human physical body with all its appetites and all its passions and all its weaknesses and, and even capable of death. And in that, I'll demonstrate the character and the life and the love and the power of God on a human level. The the sonship of Jesus was God manifesting Himself within the limitation of a human body. Sometimes I think when, you you know, because especially nowadays you hear so much stuff. Uh, especially the book of Revelation being fulfilled, book of Revelation being fulfilled. Well, what about it's being fulfilled? Everybody tells you all the bad stuff, but what about being conformed to the image of His Son? Nobody ever talks about those things. It's just always looked at as as a loss and get us out of here, you know, heaven and all these things. But but hopefully today, maybe with a little bit more view on this Son of Man... We can begin to understand a little bit more of the purpose of God, why He made man, why He made him like He do, like He does. I mean, uh, you know, sometimes, and I, I guess it's a common battle. Uh, we wonder why we struggle with the things that we struggle. Seems like, you know, people have their little. Little things they battle with and you wonder why and you wonder, God, why did you make me this way? Or is this or am I flawed or or what's going on? And we don't realize God made us this weak creature. And it doesn't seem right. I mean, you know, we believe the lie. We should be God. I shouldn't have any weaknesses. But He made us out of the dust of the ground with, with all of these appetites. And, and you know what? No matter what, I, I need to sleep and I need to eat. And, and, and uh, you know, I get hungry and I, I can't fly and all of these other things. And, and in that, He chose to manifest His dominion and His glory. And we get that in, in Jesus. I mean, Jesus couldn't fly. I mean, it sounds funny, but, you know, he wasn't a superhero. Got all these superheroes now. They can fly and climb on walls. I don't know. Jesus couldn't do none of that. He didn't walk around with a halo. I know the pictures say he did, but he didn't have a halo. I mean, they would, could have picked him out. They said, this? Son of God? No way. We've known this guy for 30 years. He's from Nazareth. He makes doors. He couldn't run faster than anybody else. You know, he's just an average guy. He got tired. He got hungry. He fell asleep. They could beat him. They could spit on him. They could crucify him. I mean, he's hanging on the cross with half his beard pulled out, with spit on his face. Yet in Christ Jesus, you have the perfect man. Man as it's intended to be. Manhood, it's the perfect Manhood expression of God. In that. With spittle on his face. Which is what Jesus called the Son of Man. It's man in the image and likeness of God. That's the Son of Man. Man in the image and likeness of God. What's the importance of the incarnation? It means that the Spirit of God. God Himself can live and express Himself in a physical human body. And when God invaded humanity in the person of Jesus, He took upon Himself human nature. He took upon Himself human limitation. He was made in the likeness not of glorified flesh, but of sinful flesh, made in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for 33 and a half years, He walked and worked and ate and slept and died in that body, manifesting God on the level of man, manhood. And what that incarnation meant, it meant that God can, by His Holy Spirit, come in and live in these bodies of ours, living in us, loving in us, working in us, fulfilling righteousness in us, overcoming all weakness in us, overcoming all limitation in us, overcoming all sin and overcoming death, ruling over all things through us. Even though we are compassed about with infirmities, he himself was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. It's amazing to me. Even though we suffer being tempted, I mean, isn't there some things that bother you and you wonder why you're even tempted with them? You wish it would go away and they're there. And, you, I mean, and sometimes I, I think to myself, Jesus being tempted at all points as we are. And I... And I That blows my mind because sometimes I go to him and I think, well, you've never had this temptation. I've got to go back to the script and say, oh, yeah. Yet he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Even though we suffer in the weakness of our flesh, his, his back was beaten. His brow was crowned with thorns, his hands and his feet nailed to a cross, his side was pierced with a spear, his blood was shed, yet dying on the cross, again with his beard pulled out, hanging naked on the cross, spittle on his face, crown of thorns on his head, beaten to a pulp, beaten beyond recognition. Mockers cheering him, get them gambling for his clothes down at the bottom. God was living and loving and forgiving and healing and redeeming and reconciling and restoring and manifesting in the man, Christ Jesus, who is what? The express image right there. It's hard to believe because, you know, we've always been taught, or I was always taught, or kind of, I don't know if I was taught or if I just assumed it, that God was so angry that He beat Jesus to a pulp so He wouldn't have to beat you to a pulp. But then there's a scripture, God was where at, at the time of the cross. God was in Christ, reconciling the world into Himself. People say God was was angry at Jesus. Sin had to be punished. But you know what? He freely gave himself into the hands of those men who crucified the Holy One of Israel. Being mocked. God is living in him. See, you know, some of the people that I grew up with, they think, well, you know, Jesus does, or the Holy Spirit visits every now and then. He he has to clean you up and all that. I mean, here he is being mocked with spit on his face. And where was God? Living in him. You know, I love that scene in the movie The Shack when when he asks, where was you? You even left your son. And she pulls up her sleeves and says, oh, no, I never left. Never left. That just runs chills on me every time I see that. I even know I've watched the movie 50 times. I know the part's coming. It still gets me every time. Oh, no. When Jesus was asleep in a boat, where was God? He 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 was in Jesus. When he was thirsty on the cross, where was he? He was in Jesus. God living in him. God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Now, if you can get a hold of that, do you, do you see what all this means? I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, this is the one thing we miss. We miss the, the and, and I don't know of a better word, I'm just going to say practical. We miss the practical application of the gospel. We, you know, church, you kind of have this mindset of, of, of this whole atmosphere this, of this thing. But I, I want you, what God was showing us through all of this, he, He's revealed to us that He's at home. In human bodies. You know what that means? He's at home in human bodies. hes I mean, he's at home in the image of God. The tabernacle of God is with men, not with angels. You would have thought he would have made it somewhere else with angels. The tabernacle of God is with men, not with spirits, with man. I mean, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld Him, His glory is the only begotten. He says in John chapter 14, verse 23, we will come unto him and make our abode. We, that's the, Jesus is talking. He says, The Father and I, we will come and make our abode with, with you, with him, the, those who believe. Now, that word abode means to be at home, to be at rest. That means you're not a visitor. And I want you to just think about it. I mean, here in a few minutes, we're going to leave. And you know, I feel I feel at home up here, but it's not home. You know what I mean? I mean, I feel home and a family and all but it's not home. I mean, when I go home, man, I'm going to kick my shoes off and you know what I mean, and you know we, there's things going on. There's dishes to wash, and there's clothes to wash and fold, and there's grass to cut. And and God is at home in us. That means He is at rest. I want you to get a hold of this. He's not some foreign power coming in to overwhelm us, to overpower you. I mean, Jesus. He how did He come in? Meek and lowly, riding on a donkey. I mean, the King of Kings, the Lord of Glory, comes in. He's got all power. Yet, he doesn't come in overwhelming, kicking doors down. He's at home. I mean, we went over Sunday. This. I mean, how does he come in? Grace and peace be unto you. I mean, how did he come into the upper room? Fear not. I know. Uh, so I may say, I'll say a lot of controversial things, but. I want you to get a hold of this, and this is what we we miss out on, the practicality here. Uh, And I know you guys have heard this and and been in a lot of services and all this stuff, but, you know, I I seen a, a church the other day, and they said, oh, we were having service, and then the Holy Ghost came in. You know, like, I guess he wasn't there, and then he showed up, and the Holy Ghost took over. And they were taking pictures of everybody laying on the floor. You know, I read about a similar instance to that, but it's in the Old Testament. And it's when the fire came out of the altar and went in and, uh, you know, came out of that holy place and started the fire in the altar. And all the people, they fell down and they worshiped. I mean, all Israel, they they saw that fire. And... uh, And I'm going to tell you, listen to what I'm saying here. God is at home. Christ is at home living in you. You know, a few weeks ago, we were going over that book, Colossians. Remember how Paul ended that, let the peace of God reign in you, rule in you. And, you know, we said that's like an umpire. And the umpire don't really do much until there's a foul committed and then what I'm saying is God is at home. God, Christ, the Holy Spirit is at home in you. He's at rest in you. If I could give you a picture, he's, he's took his shoes off. And, I mean, he's resting and he's, he likes it. I mean, he's comfortable. Just as comfortable as you are when you get home. And, you know, at home you can look outside and say, boy, it's cold out there. And I'm glad. I mean, it's nice and warm and cozy in here. He's at home. And, man, he's not uncomfortable. One of the fruit of the Spirit is temperance, self-control. Now, I know a lot of these things that go on as part of the charismatic movement and all of that. And I will say this. It did happen on the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost is the day the church was born. And and I want you to understand something. On that day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, it filled them, lit on them uh Fire, tongues, all of these things took place. That was at the birth of the church. That was a one-time event. You're only born one time. Churches get caught up, I'll say this. Churches get caught up in emotionalism and call it the Holy Spirit. And I'll say this. He is so at home in you, you don't even know He's there. He's settled down in you. He's at home in you, lives naturally in you, and lives uh, naturally as you. That's why, you remember we were talking a while ago about how to hear the voice of God because we want some, he's so at home in you, you think it's you. You can't distinguish, you can't tell the two apart. I don't, was that me? Well, who who else is he going to sound like? Because he lives in you. And I and I know I talk to other people and and it's uh, they have things so big, and they cannot see Christ in you that He's at home in you while you're pumping gas at the gas station and cleaning off your windshield from the snow and the stuff that flies on your windshield and you know they just can't see that that this is an act of worship. I'm pumping gas in the car and I'm cleaning my windshield off and they can't see that, that this is holiness unto the Lord. They cannot see that. No, we got to have the right music playing. But see, when you begin to understand that, what joy and peace that you even have while you're pumping gas. Because the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace and peace and joy, the one thing the world is missing and longing for, joy. I was talking to a guy, and he said, man, have you ever heard that song John Lennon wrote? Imagine. And I said, yeah. He said, what do you think about that song? I said, well, really, John Lennon was a brilliant uh, musician, songwriter, and all that stuff, and he said, man, I hate that song. It's an atheist song. It's, an atheist. it's the anthem to the atheist." I said, well, I hear the longing of John's heart. I mean, religion obviously didn't, didn't answer it for him. And here he is. He's a poet. And he puts his, the longing of his hearts to words and to music. And he's, and he's longing for something. I want to run to John. I know John is not with us. But I want to run to John and say, come and see a man. You know, I, I, uh, Jesse Ventura, you know, used to be the governor of Minnesota and a SEAL team and a wrestler and all that stuff. And he's an atheist, claimed to be atheist. And he looks through history and he says, All religion has done is cause wars. And everything that Jesse said is absolutely right. But he's never met the true and the living God. He's only met religion. I want to say, Oh, Jesse, everything you're longing for, man, come see a man. Come see a man. And this this one is at home in you. He dwells in you without conflict to flow through your mind normally, naturally, spontaneously. The, The works of God, now listen to this. The works of God should be manifest through you without fanfare. If I said Christ is in you while you're pumping gas, who cares about that? I mean, we'd rather have the great big move of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, he's moved. And let me tell you where he moved. He moved in. (laughs) He moved in. That's the move he moved in. It's manifest without fanfare, hype, theatrics, in an ordinary, natural, intended way. I mean, you go feed the dogs. There he is. He's in you. And now feeding the dog becomes an act of worship because Christ is in you. And what more glorious thing than have Christ in you while you're feeding one of his creatures. And I know it it seems like, and I know I've, I've been around, it seems like prophecy can't come forth unless the speaker starts to shake or change his voice. And say, thus saith the Lord. I want you to realize something. That God was speaking through Jesus all the time. Because Jesus said the words that are speaking. To him. He never spoke a word that it wasn't God speaking through him. Even when he called them uh, vipers, that was God speaking through him. People try to heal the sick and cast out devils and create in some kind of environment for the power of God to work. Shouting commands in the name of Jesus. As if the authority is in the volume of the voice. And see, I've, I've thought these things and, and you forget sometimes that that is not it. That's not it. You ever, I don't know if you've ever been pulled over by by an officer. He walks up to the car. And he doesn't say, thus saith the state of Virginia, thou shalt produce a driver's license registration and yell it. He just walks up and all authority and says, license registration, please. He doesn't have to yell. Why? Because he's got all authority. Jesus didn't have to yell. Because all authority was given to the Son of Man. I mean... Because Jesus had authority, He could whisper to those demons, come out. And they had to come out. The spirits obeyed Him. When God comes to dwell us, and and we know that, that Christ is our life, it's not something foreign that has invaded us. It's the image and likeness of Him who dwells within us, finding expression through us, normally, naturally. As the tabernacle of his life and nature and power and mind and will and glory. Naturally. You know, he he talks about, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And that sounds so spiritual. But I'm going to tell you what, anybody that's ever been around a river, they just naturally flow. It just flows naturally, don't it? And it just kind of flows and just grows. And it doesn't matter if you're paying attention to it or not, it just flows and keeps on flowing and it just goes and it just goes wherever it goes. And wherever it goes, the scripture says it's life. And it just flows naturally. Paul Paul, the apostle here, he didn't say for me to be spiritual and to get into the hundred and forty-four thousand as Christ. He said for to me to live. It's Christ. For me to live is Christ. Living for Paul didn't mean those supernatural moments when he was seeing visions and hearing voices and falling out under the power and being called up into the third heaven. It meant for Paul to walk from one town to another and making tents and meeting in homes. For Christ was in him. Walking in him. As him. It was speaking to people, the mind and, and the will of God, manifesting the love of God, demonstrating the power of God in normal expression of life. The the image of God wasn't just seen in Christ on on, on just on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was seen with Him setting down for supper with sinners. Speaking the wisdom of love of God while, while eating and drinking wine. They called him a wine-bibber. Jesus was no more the Son of God when he ascended in the cloud than he was when he stooped down with his finger and rode in the earth. That's who he was. When he compassionately said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Sonship, using that word, will be most truly and fully fulfilled in us when God can feel at home in us. You know, I always go back to that scripture. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. I don't know if people oh, you sinned. Uh. Feel at home. I mean what? I mean, you know, there's a lot of houses, but what makes a home? You know, there's a family there. There's love there. There's peace there. There's joy there. There's yeah, I mean it's 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 when I mean when it's natural, without any strain, without any pretense, without any showmanship, without any condemnation, I mean, I love the fact, I'd say the, the Lord and I had a long conversation this week. We, I mean, it was a, I had some things in my mind, and, and, and you know, it's, you, you just go talk to him, and I'm out working, and I'm just talking up a storm, and I guess if people would ride by and see me, they would think, well, that guy is crazy. Who's he talking to? I'm having a conversation. I'm going to tell you what, I enjoyed having a conversation. Because, I, I mean, this tabernacle of God, this is a meeting place. He said, I'll meet you between the cherubims. I mean, and we're the tabernacle and he's in us. And, and we can come boldly to the throne of grace and, and go in. I'll say it's a movie and talk to Papa. It's good to talk to Papa. Jesus lived Normally. He he demonstrated God naturally in every facet of life. He simply went about what? Doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. God was in him. That is being a son. That's perfect manhood. That is son of man. Now it all goes back to the creation Uh, of man let me go over here into John John chapter 5 verse 26 and 27 for as the father hath given life in himself so hath he given to the son to have life in himself and hath given him authority to execute judgment also why because He is the Son of Man. Not because He's Son of God. Because He's Son of Man. This awesome and universal authority. What authority? To execute judgment. Is rooted in the fact that He's Son of Man. To execute judgment. Now when you hear the word judgment, I, w- I want you to thank I want you to think on these lines, because in our culture, judgment means punishment. It means condemnation. It, it, I mean, what does true love do? True love casts out fear. What, what is that fear? Fear has the expectation of, of punishment. And everybody today, everything is punishment. But the authority to execute judgment, I, I, I wish I could change our minds here a little bit. And when I hear judgment, I want, to, I want you to think, make things right. Whatever that is, make things right. Give you an example. This is uh, Jairus' daughter. Remember Jairus' daughter? She's dead. How How did Jesus execute judgment? What did he do to make things right? He raised her from the dead. The widow's son of of Nain, He was into going to the funeral. Raised raised him from the dead. Lazarus raised him from the dead. Do, I mean, do do you understand? So judgment judgment may include raising somebody from the dead. So I, w- I want to get our mindsets out of punishment. Could be, could be teaching a lesson. I you know I don't know, but. It, Why was it necessary for Jesus to be the Son of Man to have authority on the earth? Well, again, all the way back in Genesis, and this is, you know, this is why we spent so much time in that challenge of prayer. Because, you know, people say, well, is God sovereign? Absolutely, God is sovereign. But God has also limited himself. He limited himself in the person of Jesus Christ. What I said, he didn't fly. Couldn't run faster. He, he limited himself. So God has limited himself, if I, if I, if I could say it that way, uh, because he said that man should bear the image of God and have dominion over all things. And, and, and th- that's the first announcement of God's intention regarding man. I'm going to give man, let him have dominion. I mean, that's a universal... Meaning, we, we must reestablish and redefine the purpose of our existence. Well, I mean, why are we here? The purpose of God in man has been blurred. It's been distorted. Um, let me go to Acts chapter 17. Verse 31, because he hath appointed a day. In the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men that he raised him from the dead. That man's a corporate man. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 2 and 3, Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world should be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest of manners? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? When I say God is raising up a man, it's a many-membered man. The body of Christ, the, the, the Christ of God, through which to rule and deliver and to bless. God has a man to fix creation's problems. Son of man has to execute judgment. I mean, do, do you understand? I mean, everywhere today, you know, it's counselors, it's this, it's, it's that, you know, call them. I mean, look at the problems. I mean, I just go back to to Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus. I mean, they had a problem. I mean, we got a sickness here. I mean, we need some help. So they call on the man, the son of man, who has the authority to fix the problem, to right the wrong. The wrong was death. Death had came upon Lazarus. Jesus could right the wrong. Imagine you and me, a a many-membered man, righting the wrongs that have been established in the earth. It's all through the Scriptures. It's all through the Scriptures. I mean, judgment. I mean, what was Solomon? Solomon had this wisdom to do what? I mean, he knew the difference so that he could judge Israel. That's what he prayed for wisdom for, wasn't it? No, what was to judge Israel? I mean, he was put to the test. I mean, the two women came up there with a the, with the dead child. Whose mother? I argue it. Split the baby in half. What wisdom? I mean, he knew the real mother would say, Nah, let her have it. I mean, he says to Abraham a prophecy that in thy seed shall all nations be Blessed. Guys, we're a part of bearing the blessing, bringing the blessing to a starving, hungry creation. I mean, Jesus fed the multitudes. I mean, we've, we've went over that before. I mean, we haven't even begun to see the, the mighty works of God. And, and you know, with the things that we were talking about earlier, I mean, what, what better ways, except in great devastation, can be manifest the mighty works of God. I mean, if everybody in that field would have had, a, had them a box lunch, Jesus wouldn't have had to feed the 5,000. If there hadn't have been a storm, he wouldn't have had to say, peace be still. You see, when God injected himself into the history of this world to save and lift and redeem and restore it, he could not do it as God. He had to do it as man. That's what we were talking about. Why prayer is so important. That's why God was manifest in the flesh. Because anything that's done in a governmental way on this earth must be done through man. God set it up that way. That's why our prayer is so vital, important. Why we did that challenge of prayer let, let man have dominion you know the earth I've given to the, to the children of men. That's God's own sovereign edict uh, and, and, and delegation of governmental authority. man's rulership of the earth and the heavens is, is built into this constitution which he framed for, our, for creation. For, for, for God and ask God to do the job would be unconstitutional. Man is God's constitutional agent. That's why He said Son of Man has authority to execute judgment. It's the way God set it up. To man has been given the stewardship of the earth and of the heavens. That's why there is now a perfected man reigning in the heavens. The man, Christ Jesus. Uh, you know, this... I don't know how it comes at you, but everything we've ever been taught about heaven and earth and all this and going to heaven, and it seems like we missed the whole point, the whole setup that God has set up from the the get-go, let man have dominion. This whole planet, this whole universe, let man, I'm giving man the authority to execute judgment, and now we have a perfect man, the man Christ Jesus on the throne. God remains the owner, but man is the manager and the overseer, the the judge, the ruler, the priest, the king. Jesus had to come in the form of a man in the likeness of flesh, being made in all things like unto his brethren. Because nothing happens on or in this earth except through man. The captain of our salvation. The high priest of our profession, the head of of the body of Christ, the firstborn son of God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords is the man Christ Jesus, not God Christ Jesus, the man Christ Jesus. He is the son of man, not God the son. You see the, the difference here? I'm telling you, why it still baffles people today because they, they they can't comprehend this, just like they couldn't comprehend that God would come, the Word would become flesh. They couldn't get it. They they still can't get it today. God is over there. He's too holy. He can't. He could, no way. He could make himself at home in you. No way. For Jesus to have anything to do with this dominion, he had to become a man because the dominion was given to man. In order for him to receive the kingdom, he had to be a man. And he received it because why? Thou art worthy because thou was slain. The the man in God's image has has a divine and royal destiny to exercise authority and dominion in the world. And all that happens in the cosmos takes place. Under his direction. Now, God created all things and then man in his image and likeness as the connecting link between God and his creation. The connecting link between God and his creation. And we've, we went over that, that well, we've seen that in the priest. That's what the priest did. The priest brought God to man and man to God. I mean, and, and, I mean we're what? A royal priesthood. The, that the invisible God might be seen and known and touched by the visible creation. The, the, the face of God would be revealed for all creation to behold. In the face of man. The likeness of God would be made known to the universe in and by man. The love of God, the grace of God, the wisdom, the knowledge, the power, the glory of God would be exercised toward every creature and world and order throughout through the man in the image and likeness of God. Now who is is this? Jesus is the altogether lovely one. When he walked this earth, he was unlike any other who had ever lived since Adam was banished from the garden. Jesus, I don't know if you just think about it. He never never withdrew a word. You know, sometimes we'll say things and we go apologize. Oh, I'm sorry. to. He never did that. I mean, he didn't go to those people. Oh, I'm sorry for calling you guys a bunch of vipers. I'm sorry. I was a little upset. He never withdrew a word he said. Not one time. He didn't apologize for anything. He never said a misstatement. Oh, that's, you know, that wasn't what I said. He never said a half-truth. What he said was truth himself because he is the truth. He was incarnate truth. You know, Jesus never said, you know, guys, hey, man, I'm fixing to go up to Jerusalem. It's going to be really rough. Would y'all lay hands on me? I mean, do you ever just think about that stuff? He never did. And I know in our mindset we think, well, obviously not. I mean, he was God. No. He was man. Everything he did, he did as man. He never sought advice, not from other men. Moses and Solomon, they all had counselors, right? Jesus, how many counselors does Jesus have? None. <laughs> what he had, he received of his father. Now, the Scriptures, the Old Testament does say there's, there's wisdom. In the multitude of counselors, there's wisdom, right? And we think, well, that's a good idea. I'm going to tell you, in the Old Testament, it was a good idea. When when, we're as ignorant, when when a person is ignorant as we are, with no earthly cure for our ignorance, then indeed, we need a multitude of counselors. But guess what? The Holy Spirit has now been sent as the comforter and the and the counselor, even him who is the spirit of truth who was leading us into all truth. You don't need a multitude of counselors. You have the one who is the counselor. Well, the Holy Spirit said this, but what's your advice? <laughs> you know, he's the counselor. I mean, and, and guess what? He's at home in you. You have the counselor. Of, you have wisdom himself living in you. I don't need to make 14 phone calls and get 14 different people's advice. I need to go in my closet and talk to the Lord. Hey, in the Old Testament, there was wisdom in multitude of counselors, but now wisdom himself. I mean, Christ has made into us wisdom. You have the counselor. And you know what? It's no different for me than you and anybody else. Everybody wants to go and get a counselor. Go have church counseling. I say go over there and pray and talk to him who is the counselor. You need to learn his voice. You need to talk to him. Now this this Jesus I'm telling you that did all these things, I want you to get this. He is the pattern son. He's the prototype. He was what man was intended to be. Jesus never confessed to sin. You remember Isaiah? Oh my God, I'm a man of unclean lips. Job was brought to absolute desperation when God appeared to him. Paul said, Hey, guys, it's a faithful saint. I'm chief of sinners. Jesus never confessed to sin. Unlike any of us, he had none to confess. He's the perfect man. He's the pattern. He's the prototype of every son of God who is being conformed into his image. I mean, it's predestinated that you would be conformed into his image. And the Scripture, this perfect man that I'm telling you about, the, the son of man here, as he is, so are we. We're at in heaven some bright future day. In this world. Now, the dwelling place of a a son of God is in the Father. That's what Jesus said when I'm in the Father. See, he was son, it's in the Father. The dwelling place of the Father is in the sons. And the sons are the outrage of the expression of the Father. And I'm telling you, people... People of God today have no greater need than to know the power and glory of Christ in you. I mean, I'm telling you. That's what I tell my friend all the time, man, we, we can do nothing until you know that. I mean, I mean that's that that's that, that 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 rock that everything is built on. I and mean, people don't even know. I mean, they still saying the Holy Ghost showed up. Well, where does he, where's he live? He lives in you. When you shut up, he got here. You got no more Holy Ghost in in a church service where the Holy Ghost is moving and everybody's falling out than you do pumping gas. Christ, now now get this, this image of God. Christ is the image of God. The, The image of God is the nature of God reproduced in man. The nature, the image of God is the nature of God reproduced in man. Well, that happens. Man is the true image of God. And Jesus Christ is the image of God because he is the true man, man as he was meant to be. So Jesus is the image of God. So guess what? You have the image of God, the likeness of God living in you, reproducing himself. Except a corn of wheat falling into the ground, it dies, but it, it brings forth much fruit. In this very book of, of Revelation here, it says Christ is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's man as He was, man as He shall be. In Jesus Christ, you see man as He was in the beginning, and as He ever shall be, world without end. And I thank God for that. I thank God for that because, I mean, there'll, there'll come a time when we won't have to go to funerals anymore. And I'll be glad for that. You know? I mean, I'll, I know some people say, hey, you know, all spiritual and all this other stuff. But, you know, I like hugging my kids. If we're all spiritual and just ghosts floating around, what is it? No, I mean, this is real. They held on to Jesus when He raised from the dead. They grabbed His... See that His spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me has. The image of God is what Hebrews tells us. Who is the, the express image. Who being the brightness of His glory. And we're talking a man here, the man Christ Jesus, who was what? The brightness of the glory of God, the express image of his person, the upholding of all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins. I love that. He didn't need my help or yours. He didn't even ask my permission to do it. He did it. Set down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And Paul, this crazy apostle, says, we're seated with him in heavenly places. Come on, Paul. Christ and man in Christ is the ray of light that comes from the sun. Man, the extension of God. The uh, man expressing God. I mean, we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, who is what? The son. Son of man. Now, we go and we read about all these miracles. I don't want to go into all those miracles. Y'all know them. All the miracles of Jesus. We call them miracles. A miracle is something that's not natural, right? It was a miracle. It wasn't natural. But I'm telling you, all the miracles of Jesus is what is normal for man in his true state of being as the image of God. It's normal. It's normal. I mean, Jesus didn't go, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened. I mean, he got frustrated. The disciples couldn't do it. How long? I mean, I mean, this is a normal state. Now, guys, he said, guys, go out there and cast out devils. Heal the sick. Go. G- go, go. I mean, get busy. Go. I mean, this is the normal state. This is what you're supposed to be doing. Now, go do it. You've been given the power. Now, go do it. The, the image is in you. This is what true man supposed to do. And, and you know what he's doing, this, this last Adam? Jesus is demonstrating all that the first Adam lost. People have no idea how much we lost in the fall. So now it's miracles and getting me off to heaven. I mean, I mean if, if everything was like that with Jesus, we wouldn't even... I mean, we would say, oh, wait a minute, God, I don't want to go to heaven yet. I want to, I want to walk on the water. I want to speak to the storms. I want to heal the sick. And now you know why he did all that stuff. It was fun, and it was the way it was supposed to be. Raising the dead. Could you imagine the joy that he looked at in in Jairus' face when he brought the daughter to him? I I bet he's just laughing on the inside saying, look, and this is what you were supposed to be doing, Jairus. This death here is unnatural. This was because the first Adam, but I'm the last Adam and I come to set things right. The Son of Man has authority to execute judgment. It's, it's, it's not the Son of God who has power on the earth to forgive sins, but it's the Son of Man. That's, uh, let me get back over and give you a few verses here. Matthew chapter 9, verse 6. Yeah, but you know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said unto the sick of the palsy. Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thy house. Son of man could do that, right? And I'm telling you, this son of man that he sees in the candlesticks is a corporate son of man. I mean, I, I hope we can get a hold of this and, and maybe go out and start acting like who we really are. How about uh, John chapter 5, again, verse 22. The father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the son. And then in verse 27, and hath given him... Authority to execute judgment also because He is the Son of Man. John six twenty seven. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth into everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. Who? The Son of Man shall give unto you. For Him hath God the Father sealed. Who is He sealed? Son of Man. Verse 62, what and if you shall see the Son of Man to send up where he was before. Who ascends? Son of Man. Who's glorified? Son of Man. Who gives uh, life to the world? Son of Man. Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man. Matthew nineteen 28, they'll see the Son of Man sitting on the throne of Glory. All this was true of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of this is true of His body. Because it's not a head sitting up there. It's a head and a body. It's the man, Christ Jesus. A many member. Paul told us many members make up the body of Christ. Again, the miracles, feeding 5,000, raising the dead, coming to sea, walking on the water. Jesus did none of those things as God He did them as God in Christ was simply a true man. You remember the story. I won't go back into it. Jacob fleeing his brother. He's got the stolen blessing and he gets to Bethel and he goes to sleep and he has a dream. And he sees a ladder into heaven. And he sees angels ascending and descending. He calls the place Bethel, house of God. God is in this place, and I knew it not. I want to go tell the church, God is in the place, and you don't even know it. But then Jesus makes this statement, and listen to what he says. In John chapter 1, verse 51, and he saith unto him, Verily, verily, verily. I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. I mean, this ladder was a bridge between heaven and earth. And what's Jesus saying? The Son of Man. I mean, He didn't say on me. Verily, verily, I said to you hereafter, so ye have an open angels of God, ascending and descending upon me. He said, upon the Son of Man. Why wouldn't He say me? He feel when I would have made that statement, we would have said me. He didn't say me. He said the Son of Man. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? The son of Man, who thou art the Christ. Oh, you got it, Peter. My Father has revealed this. We're in the book of Revelation unto you. Christ is the ladder between heaven and earth. He's the connecting link between earth and heaven, between man and God, between flesh and spirit, between humanity and divinity. The Son of Man is Jacob's ladder. Christ is within Himself where earth and heaven meet. Now listen to this. Nothing ascends to God, nothing comes from God, but in and through Him. What did He see? Angels ascending and descending. He's it. Nothing comes from God to earth except through the Son of Man. Nothing gets from earth to heaven except through Son of Man. Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. do, Do you get this picture here? The Son of Man? It's in Christ that heaven and earth meet. And the meeting place is man. That's the way he said the kingdom is within you. Heaven is open and the angels of God are ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. I mean, we found the gate of heaven. I can remember that dream I have told you about. I was looking. They said, we're looking for heaven. I said, I'll look and I saw the gate. And, and you know, it was in a dream, but it was, I, I, I couldn't see it for many years. We have found the gate of heaven. They call them the pearly gates. And You know what are gates? Gates are one, it's an access to go from one place to another. And Jesus is saying that access place to go from one to another is me. And now he's telling us we're a part of that. We found the gate of heaven and it is Christ, the Son of Man. I'm going to close with these verses right here. I mean, this is what he says here. But ye are come unto Mount Zion. And into the city of the living God. Remember when we went over that term? The, the God that can't be avoided. I mean, because this is Hebrews. When they said the living God, they said, uh, yeah. I, all the mockers. Let me introduce you to the living God. You, you, We've we come into to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. He can't be avoided. He is invading every place. He's bringing heaven wherever He goes because the meeting point is Christ Jesus. The heavenly Jerusalem. And into innumerable company of angels. We're going to get into these angels right here in just a little bit, not tonight. But these angels of the seven churches, what are they? Innumerable company of angels. I'm telling you, they're not babies in diapers flying around with wings and harps. And to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. Who's the firstborn? Jesus is the firstborn, first begotten of the dead. Which are written in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of just men made perfect, made complete, and to Jesus, the Son of Man, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. My goodness. We're, we found the gate of heaven, and it's open, and it's the man Christ Jesus, and we are in him, and he's in us. I can keep on going, but I better quit, so I'll say amen to that, and we'll keep on going.